Hello and welcome to this conversation, uh, this episode of Conversations with Sports Fans. I'm your host, Doug Hill, and in this episode, I'm excited to be joined by a fellow Eastern Michigan University alum, Grant Long. If the name Grant Long sounds familiar, well, it should. He was the 1988 Mid-American Conference Men's Basketball Player of the Year as he led EMU to a 22-8 record, a MAC championship, and its first ever appearance in the NCAA tournament. An NBA second round draft pick later that summer by the expansion Miami Heat, Grant went on to play 1,003 career NBA games for five franchises over 15 seasons. Those 1,003 NBA games played are the most ever by any product of Eastern Michigan University. Today, Grant works as an analyst for Bally Sports Detroit's coverage of the Detroit Pistons. During our conversation, we hope to learn some insights into this year's Pistons, the NBA, and if I'm being honest, how Grant became such a huge Tom Brady fan. Still one of life's mysteries to me. Anyhow, Grant, welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. Oh, man, it's great to be here, Doug. And let me say right off the top, man, it is great to reconnect with you. It's been so, so, so many years uh, since I've seen your face. Uh, obviously, we've connected a couple of times on, on Facebook, but it's been uh, a long time coming to actually get the chance to to talk with you like the old days when you used to interview me with the Eastern Echo. And I noticed during this introduction, you never mentioned you kept reiterating Eastern Michigan alum. You did not say Eastern Michigan Huron, and I know they are no longer the Hurons, but we have a saying, once a Huron, always a Huron. I, I, I tend to agree, Mr. Long. Once a Huron, always a Huron. But I was trying to be um, as politically correct as I could <laughs> during the introduction. Understood. Um, well, yeah, granted, it is fantastic to reconnect. And, you know, um, this recording will be shown to my son, who is no longer the seven-year-old that was trying to connect with you at the palace once upon a time to prove that I actually knew an NBA player. He's now 21 years old, but uh, we'll get this to him so that he can, in fact, see that I did once upon a time know Grant Long. Um, and, and, Grant, and Grant, actually, and before we get into this, I think that the listeners need to know that there was a famous one-on-one -on -one game that you and I played in Rose Arena at Central Michigan University before you took on Thunder Dan uh, and, the, and the Chippewas that night, or the, you know, the shoot-around, and you gave me the ball spotted me 10 and the game was to 11 and i believe um i i missed i was intimidated by your 6-8 frame as i tried to take it to the hole you were having none of that i missed badly even though i think you gave me the layup and you got the rebound and you promptly hit four threes and i'm pretty sure you never hit a three-pointer in your entire college career um, and you're you, right you hit four that day to beat me 12 to 10 and that was the end of my efforts to try to beat grant long so, Shooting a three and, and with Coach Braun as the coach was a surefire way to get you sitting on the bench with him. If you were, if I, if I was to shoot a three-point shot, yeah, I can I can only imagine. I think uh, Darren Goheen and uh, Brad Susie and some of the others were better equipped for the three pointers than you were at that time. Sure, so, but I but sure. I digress. I digress. Um, so Grant, you know, the premise of this of this show is you know, conversations with sports fans. So I guess I would just ask, what is your first recollection of becoming or being a, a fan of sports? That's an easy one. I was not a fan of sports at all until 1979 when I saw Magic Johnson take on Larry Bird and the Indiana State Sycamores in that championship game. 
As a matter of fact, I didn't watch Magic Johnson until that game. I wasn't watching basketball at all. But for some reason, I remember being at my dad's house and everybody there was sitting in front of the television, polarized by what was taking place. And I, saw, I found myself a small kid over in the corner and wondering what this excitement was all about, why everybody was huddled around the television and so excited about this one particular basketball game. And as I watched and I kept hearing the name, Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson, I could not help but to watch what he was doing. And from that moment on, I became a fan of sport and basketball. That's um, interesting that you say that it was magic that kind of turned you on because if I'm not, I mean, your, your uncle is, is uh, John Long, is he not? He, you, and you're right. I, when I tell that story, a lot of people often ask me, well, how can that be your, your first taste of sport when you had an uncle that you pretty much, you guys went to the same high school, obviously years before I did. I watched my uncle John through high school, went to a lot of his games at the University of Detroit and, and on to the pros when he was playing for his, his coach, his college coach at the time, Dick Vitale. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't know is I guess you have to mature into a point where you appreciate things. And here's the thing that I'm telling you and yeah. the listeners for the very first time. As I, as I watched my uncle through high school and watched him through college and the pros, the reason that that significant time is a significant time in my life is because John's dad is my grandfather. And my grandfather was the one who took me to all of those games. So that was my moments with him. It, was, yeah. it wasn't about going to see John. It wasn't about watching his progression. It was about going and spending time with my grandfather. He got me popcorn. He sat me in the front row. He talked to me, explained the games and all of that kind of stuff. But for me as a kid, the, the great part was I knew on Wednesday or Saturday night we were going to watch Uncle John play, but Grandpa was coming to pick me up, and that was the highlight of my day. That's that's a fantastic fantastic recollection, um, and and it makes it makes sense. I mean, yeah, as a youngster, you're you're going to be more enamored with whatever Grandpa's willing to buy you from the snack bar than exactly, like, exactly. <laughs> whatever that whatever your uncle's doing on the court at that point. I'm sure. Um, so, was there anything in particular about? I mean, the, the MSU-Indiana State game in, in 79 was, you know, it's, it's long long been credited with, you know, revolutionizing college basketball and changing the way that it, the, the tournament is viewed and everything else. Was there anything about that that really inspired you, aside from the fact that everybody seemed to just really gravitate toward magic during that game? Was there well, anything I, you could point to? It, it, to me, even at, a, at that young age, I realized – what competing was all about. That game showed me that you had to compete. You had to work extremely hard because I remember those guys and, and and how hard they had to work and how good the players were. Even then, I knew how good Larry Bird was. I knew how good Magic Johnson and Greg Kelster and Jay Vincent and those guys were. And I knew how hard you had to work. I knew how hard you had to compete, but you also had to play as a team. And I also knew even at that point that Magic Johnson had complete control of the game at his position. And now you can never look at my game and say, oh, wow, I see the resemblance. I see some, some similarities. But everything that I did on the court, I tried to pattern after Magic Johnson. But the only thing that you ever notice, if you really pick it apart, the only thing that you really notice that I was able to steal or grab from him was his control to make sure that 
I can make this play happen. I can will this thing to happen. If my team needed a rebound, I can go get it. If my team needed a steal at a particular time, I could do something to make it happen. If we needed a basket, I could go get it. That's the control that I saw Magic Johnson have in that game in 1979, and that's what I took away from it. The willingness to compete and try to make my teammates better. And if you look throughout my career, I remember Coach Braun saying this about me as a senior, how easily I could ring out bigger numbers. I averaged 24, 23 points in college, but I could have done easily did a lot more. But I wanted to see and incorporate my teammates. And that's a Magic Johnson trait. Get your teammates involved. That's how you win. Very, very, uh, very nice recollection. And, and, um, and I, I like your thought in terms of the team, you know, the team, the team and magic certainly was, he would, you know, even throughout his entire career, once he got with the Lakers, obviously he would do whatever it was take. It would seem for the team to be successful. Um, was it, was it always basketball then Grant or, or did that, that moment on that Monday night um, in 1979, did that lead you into maybe some other sports that you also became fans of at that time? And listen, I was a pretty good football player. Uh, I played the tailback position, scored a lot of touchdowns in our city league. And I was becoming such a good player that the coach decided he wanted to move me up to varsity. And they listen, I'm a young kid at that point. The guys on varsity are almost like linemen in the pros to me. As mm-hmm. far as I was concerned, I'm like, listen, I'm handing my handing in my uniform. I'm not playing varsity with those big guys at because I was just a scrawny little kid, but I was fast and I was not about to go at, go up to the varsity and take that punishment. So that was that was the end of my football. So no longer playing football. I had a love for baseball and I'll go back to my grandfather, even though his son played basketball, very good at it. in John Long, my grandfather had a passion for baseball and we would sit and watch sit on the couch and watch baseball games. He'd watch the Tigers through and through year after year and year after year and year after year. So I, I, I gravitated to baseball as a way to stay close to my grandfather. So that was a sport, although I never played baseball, it was a game that I've always watched and admired and, uh, and, 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 and just really gravitated to it and all of the good things about it and how, and, and this is something simple, Doug, that maybe you can appreciate. I can, I can literally listen to a baseball game on the radio and get a great sense of what's going on. I hear so many people say baseball games are boring, but to me, watching it is good. But if you got a good broadcasters and you're listening to it on the radio, oh, it's nothing better on a good sunny day. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of baseball on the radio. And, and we were certainly, as youngsters, we were spoiled in the Detroit area to have, you know, Ernie Harwell and Paul Carey. And, oh, and, two of the um, best. Yeah, two you know, of the best, the very and, best. And then through the the, you know, the the beauty of satellite radio, now you're able to still tune in to like a Bob Euchre who can paint a nice picture in Milwaukee and some of these other folks. But but yeah, I would yeah. agree, there's there's nothing quite like just having a game on in the background. You can go about your business, do whatever you're doing on a summer day, but you can always kind of pick it up and 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 get right back into the flow of whatever happened to be going on. I totally agree. Um, so, I, what was your grandpa's name? Grant, if you're George, okay to George, share. George, George, George Long. Yep. Um, he, sounds like he was really um, important to you. Um, is that a pretty fair statement? Oh, a- absolutely, absolutely. He was he was the guy that was. He, listen, when we when we had you know parents' night 
or, or dad's night when you had to walk your walk out on the field with your dad for football. He was mm-hmm. the guy that walked us out. You know, it wasn't my dad. It was my grandpa that walked us out. And, uh, you know, Easter Sunday came around. He was the guy that came and picked us up, brought us to go get Easter clothes. I mean, he, he, he just did so much for us that it was it was like he was ingrained as a gentleman and mm-hmm. as, as just a great grandpa man he just, yeah. he just couldn't ask anything better i remember the fishing trips that he would take us on my brother and i and he taught us how to fish taught us how to hunt although i'm not a hunter but he did and just some of the things that i mean i would quick story i remember coming into his house one day and he lived alone he could cook better than anybody that i know and he sat me down and said have some of this and i thought it was steak and I, I finished eating it, man, and asking for more. And he said, do you know what that was? I said, no, I have no idea. He said it was rabbit. And I had never eaten rabbit before in my life and probably would never eat it again because it's a rabbit. But he made it taste so good that, you know, I, I'll never forget that. I, he had a raccoon that he had caught and he was going to eat that. And he kept fattening it up, had it for about three months. And then when it, when it came time to you know to harvest it, he couldn't do it because he had grown attached to it. So I re, I remember those things. I re, those are the kind of things that I remember about my grandfather. Yeah. Now, did he? Um, I, I I should know this because I was once upon a time a reporter at EMU. But did was he able to see you play in college and, and then ultimately in the in the professional ranks? My grandfather died the year I was drafted. The summer that I was drafted. He died in a fishing accident. He and some buddies were on a boat in the Detroit River fishing in the boat capsized. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. He never got a chance to see me play not one NBA game. He did see me play a few games in college, but not one NBA game. He did not even remember. He did not know I even got drafted. He passed before that. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that, Grant. Thank um, you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, so you you are drafted into the NBA. Um, you go to an expansion franchise, and certainly it was it was tough sledding for a while. But I've, I've always been curious, and I've not had the opportunity to talk to a lot of professional athletes. But as a professional athlete, do you have the ability to be a fan, to, to continue to be a fan of sports? Um, probably not professional basketball at that time, but are you watching other things at that time? Well, I was a huge college basketball fan, mm-hmm. but I was a huge college basketball fan until I became a professional but once I became a professional I was no longer a college basketball fan and I guess the only reason that I was a college basketball fan is because I was keeping tabs on my peers so I was trying to watch everything they did and how they moved and all of those things so once I became a pro it was no longer a need to watch the college guys my focus became on came uh became with the pros I was watching all of the pros and what they were doing so that's why I moved on from college but I was always, from day one, once I have found a love for baseball, I've always loved watching baseball, playing softball. That, that, that's my thing. I'm, I'm, a, eh, I'm a football guy, but more of a baseball guy. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, you've, I'm trying to recall, Detroit, Miami, Atlanta, Memphis, Vancouver, Boston, um, when you know baseball would be more in the off season for a part of the season when you're there, but were you able to take in games in any of these places and baseball games that is? And what was that like in, in those different um, venues where you were at? I've had some great opportunities to watch 
professional baseball. I met some of the great players. I remember Tom and sort of coming into our locker room, giving us a pep talk when I was with Miami, because obviously they were doing spring training in Florida. So he would come a lot of times uh, and come to our locker room. I remember meeting Chipper Jones when I was playing for the Atlanta Hawks. And I remember going to the World Series a few times when they were in the World Series. Um, so those kinds of things. I, re- I was there. I was on hand when Barry Bonds hit his home run to, to get the record. So I was there for that game at Pac Bell. Um, I met I met Joe DiMaggio living in Miami when he was there. Um, I'm a huge New York Yankees fan. So those those Dave Winfield. Um, Derek Jeter is one of my all time favorite. My three favorite players, Derek Jeter, CC Sabathia and Bernie Williams met met, met Hank Aaron while living in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. Ken Griffey Jr. All all of those guys I had a chance to meet. And, you know, to me, that's just taking it over the top. I mean, when you meet those caliber of guys that are that good in their sport, that that just, you know, that just took it over the top for me. Yeah. What was was meeting Hank Aaron like? I mean, Hank, to me, transcends sports and what he was able to accomplish in his era and and in the in the way that he did it. What what was that experience like meeting someone of, of his stature? Well, you know what? He he's so humble. He was so humble about everything that had happened to him and his status and stature in American folklore, not just in sports, but you know, across the board, because it's you can't just box him in and say he was a polarizing sports figure he he was he's like muhammad ali in so many instances is that Mm -hmm. he transcended the sport because of what he did and in the time that he did it in so we were we were at a function and i had an opportunity to meet him and for the first time i asked him to sign a couple of baseballs for me and he did it with no problem Mm -hmm. and then fast forward maybe maybe a year or two later i'm in the airport getting ready to go and waiting for my flight. And there he is sitting by himself. Nobody's around him. Nobody's bothering him. And, it's, and it's, it's how I noticed him, but I didn't want to bother him. He walks up to me and taps me on the shoulder. Hey, Grant, how you doing? <laughs> he re- I, Listen, I'm still playing, obviously, in the NBA, but yeah. it's no way that I thought that Hank Aaron would have remembered me enough to come up and tap me on the shoulder and ask me how I'm doing. And that that, to me, signified to me just what kind of guy he was. You know, just a great human being, very humble, and uh, you could always approach him and talk to him. He was always open like that. Yeah, and as as a Yankee fan, I, I mean, we'll, we'll leave the Yankees aside. Maybe we have to talk about that in tandem with your Tom Brady romance. But as a Yankee fan, what was it like to meet Joe DiMaggio, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, until Derek Jeter came along, was Mr. Yankee, wasn't he? Who, who, now, who's that? Joe, Joe DiMaggio, what was that? What was meeting oh, Joe DiMaggio man. like? That was that was absolutely outstanding. But remember, this is this is my team, the Yankees. And yeah, then I, I was in Miami and the place where I was going that I took my clothes to have them clean, the cleaners that I went to. I was I always talked to the guy, the owner that was there. We were talking baseball. And he told me he knew Joe DiMaggio. He said he comes in my cleaners all the time. I said, Yeah, whatever, whatever. So <laughs> About a month went by and he calls me and I'm at home. He said, come up to the cleaners. I got something for you. And I come up to the cleaners and out from behind the curtain comes Joe DiMaggio. And I'm like, he, he wasn't lying. He was like, here, here he is in the flesh, Mr. Coffee, right here. 
And I was so in awe. I didn't ask for an autograph. I didn't ask for anything. I just shook his hand and we just sat there and all three of us just talked baseball. And, and that kind of, those kind of moments, they don't happen. They do not happen if I'm not playing in the NBA. So, yeah. for you know, I, I, Sammy Sosa, Sosa used to always say, baseball has been very, very, very good to me. And I can say the same, same thing about basketball. It's been so good to me and allowed me or afforded me so many opportunities that otherwise I would not have had the opportunity to get. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could sit there and talk baseball with you all day because that's, you know, my, my favorite sport as well by a long shot, but I, 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 I do want to touch on you reference your three favorite players of all time, Jeter, Sabathia and Williams. Why are they your three favorites? What, what, what distinguishes them amongst the thousands of others that have played professional baseball during the time that you've been watching? They're all Yankees, first of all. Well, they're they're all Yankees. Well, let's uh, set that aside for a minute. Go ahead. They, Dave Winfield is very he's he's right up there too because Dave okay. Winfield is so good because he was drafted in three major sports: football, basketball, and baseball. Mm-hmm. That 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 just doesn't happen. Um, those guys set it apart for me because I'll, I'll start with Derek Jeter because he's the captain. And at a very, very young age, from the moment he stepped on the baseball diamond, there was pressure to produce. And from the moment he stepped on until the moment he left, that's all he did was produce. And, you know, that's a, that's a very difficult position to be in, playing in New York, playing for the Yankees, and yet everything you do is scrutinize every bat, every strike, every missed ball, uh, what you do after baseball, your nightlife, everything you do outside, it's all Mm -hmm. scrutinized. And to me, he came through all of that unscathed. And I think that speaks to his professionalism. And that's what I admire about him. He was able to do his job, go home, come back, do his job consistently enough that he wins World Series. I go to Bernie Williams because the guy just – Anytime you put him in the right spot, he hit home runs. I mean, I, I've watched some of those games. I'm thinking, come on, Bernie, come through for me. And he, 51 would slap the ball over the fence. Man, he, he's just, he's a clutch player, just a very, very good clutch player. CC Sabathia, even though I, I watched him when he was with the Cleveland Indians, I didn't really fall in love with him until he became a Yankee. And somebody that big, was able to throw the ball with that accuracy, that speed, and get players out. It was just – I just marveled at it. I just marveled at it. I'll give you a quick story about that. We were we were somewhere – we were in New York, and it was for, for New Year's, and Fox Sports had a party where all of the players players were there, whatever, whatever. And so we were all there, and I'm broadcasting at this point. It's kind of dark. The room's kind of dark. And I'm there with two of my friends, and they said, I think that's C.C. Sabathia. And I said, no, that's not him. It's no way it's not, it's not him. So we go through the whole night, and he's looking at me. Now, remember, I'm much older than C.C. Sabathia, so he might have recognized me as an NBA player, but I wasn't thinking that whatsoever. And I'm st- saying to myself, there's no way that that was C.C. Sabathia. So I never approached him. We get home, get back to the hotel, and watching the news the next morning and they're talking about the party and who was all there and CC it, it really was him it really <laughs> was CC Sabathia and I never got a chance to say anything to him but I didn't recognize him because he had dropped about 70 pounds 
Okay. He had dropped about 70 pounds and it did not. I was, I, I was just so used to him being the big guy. Yeah. I didn't recognize this guy who had let 70 pounds disappear. He just, it just didn't look like himself. So that's why I didn't dub him as, you know, CC Sabathia. But in fact, it was him. We found out the day after. I have since connected with him on, on social media, but uh, I'm, I'm looking for the day that I'm able to, you know, connect with him, get a couple of baseballs signed and just shake his hand. Like I said, those are my three guys. I love Ken Griffey Jr. He's one of my outstanding favorites as well. Yeah. Um, you know, of all those players you mentioned, the one who strikes me that maybe you have the most in common with would be Bernie Williams. Um, because I would say that you just quietly always went about your business. And, and that's definitely Bernie. Yeah. You know, he was not necessarily, I mean, he was in New York City, but he never seemed to be seeking the, the, the spotlight or he was, you know, not necessarily trying to be the at the forefront, but certainly seemed to be comparable to you in terms of the way you went about your business as a professional athlete. So well, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment, Doug. You should. It was intended to be one. Um, so we just talked about the Yankees. We talked about your social media. And before we dive into a little bit about Pistons talk here. Um, I, I've been, you know, acquainted with you on Facebook for a decade, probably now or close to it. And I have noticed several times there is a, just a profound love of Tom Brady. Um, I, I believe you even have a Jersey with another man's name on it that you wear on occasion. And it was not just New England. It was now Tampa Bay as well. That can is right. Please, can you please give us the backstory here in terms of why Tom Brady? Listen, man, I, I love TB12, and I, and I make no bones about it. That's my guy. He can do no wrong. I'm disappointed in Giselle that she's giving him a hard time for coming back to play one more year. When you think about this guy and where he started from and to become the greatest football player, and to me anyway, just he, he just wins, man. He, he, he really does, in, in a Magic Johnson type of way, wills his team to win. If he's got the ball in his hands and enough time, just sit back because he's going to make something miraculous happen. He really will. You, you're never going to be disappointed. And he's not the fastest. They used to say this about Larry Bird. Larry Bird is not the quickest. He can't jump high. He can't do this. But somehow he gets it done. And Tom is in that same vein. No, he can't run like Michael Vick. He can't throw it 100 yards, but the fact that he studies the game is so impressive to me that he studies the game so much. Tom Brady, from the last game of the NFL season, he has a clock in his house that counts down from that point into the next to the first game of the preseason. And that's that's when he starts his clock. When the last game is over of that season, the clock starts to start preparing for the next season. That's the kind of preparation that makes great, great, great players. So when people say, oh, he's luck, he's had a great team, he's had coaches, he's had that, he's prepared for these moments. When yeah. you have a guy that's dedicated himself like that, he's prepared for those moments. And again, the way that he studies, and I always use, and I'm not picking on the Detroit Lions, but how come they don't throw the ball like Tom Brady? How come the guys don't catch the ball. And everybody always says, well, Tom is so predictable. He's going to throw every time. Well, it should be easy to stop it if he's that predictable, I would think. But because he, re he, he understands football, he understands movements, he understands where this guy is going to be 
they have a thing called a mantra that that he lives by. He started or adopted it with the uh, New England Patriots. It's just do your job. And that's one of the things that I live by. Just do your job. And if you have a guy like Tom Brady telling you to do your job, if you do your job, then I'll be able to do mine. If you do your job, the linemen will be able to do their job. Everybody do their job and we got a chance to win. So if you keep me upright, if I'm Tom Brady and you tell, I'm telling my linemen, if yeah. you keep me upright where I can see the field, I'm going to make the play. Receivers, if you run your route and be where you're supposed to be, the ball will be there. So everybody do their job. That kind of dedication and that kind of leadership, I mean, I, I just blush thinking about it. And he has it all. He has all of those things, all of those qualities Tom has. And the, and I think the, the final thing is that he's able to not harness it for himself, but as good leaders do, they're able to give it to their teammates and instill some confidence in them. Guys play better for Tom Brady. They do. And it's yeah. because of him. They play better. Well, um, well, thanks for clearing that up. That's very helpful. Now, when you were in Boston, I know you weren't in Boston for a long time. Did the two of you ever cross paths? Have you had a, a brush with Tom Brady or TB12 is apparently you referred to him as? Hey, hey, listen, this is a funny story. Cause everybody around me, all my coworkers say, would you stop man crushing on Tom Brady plays? You're, you're, you're oozing all over my pillows or you're oozing over my seat. <laughs> They hate that I that I do because I, I literally wear his jerseys just about every day at work. So we were this this is a funny story, Doug. Uh, we were at the palace at the time, and Jim Caldwell came to one of the games and we were talking and you know, just talking football and this and that and just talk, just talking, having a good time talking football. The following Sunday, they're playing the Patriots. So I got my Tom Brady jersey on. I'm hanging down by the field. And I'm waiting. Here, here comes Tom Brady coming through the tunnel. And I'm thinking, this is going to be my chance. You don't know. When that game came about, I called everybody I could call to see if they could get Tom Brady to do anything. Hey, you know, I can hotel and see him, maybe get a jersey, sign, anything. I'm still in search of that opportunity to meet him. And I'm, it's going to happen. I, mean, I was actually going to go to fantasy camp just to go and meet him. I wasn't going to play. I was just going to go to the fantasy camp just to shake his hand and leave. But... <laughs> So, so I'm, I'm, I'm at this, I'm, I'm, I'm at at Ford Field, and here comes Tom coming up. The top. I've got my TB12 shirt on, and I'm like, okay, when he gets here, this, this is, this is my moment. I'm there with my son. He's got my phone. He's ready to take a picture, and I'm screaming, Tom, come on! I'm just screaming, and out from the crowd, the, the five or six people is looking at me. It's Jim Caldwell. <laughs> he was just talking to me like the week before that. I'm telling him how good the team looks and how good of a job he's doing. And I'm screaming. I'm with the Tom Brady jersey on. I'm screaming Tom, Tom, Tom. And Tom and, and Jim Caldwell staring at me. He couldn't do anything but shake his head and smile. Because, I mean, even coaches understand that how good this guy is. And you, you got you just want to get close to him, want to touch this guy. And that's how I am about Tom Brady. But that, that's one of my fun, funny moments. Oh. But, it, but it, he waved but didn't stop. Oh, okay. well, and that, 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 that's as close as I've ever gotten to Tom Brady or, or saying anything. He acknowledged me, but just wouldn't stop. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you can hang on to that for at least another couple of years until you get a chance <laughs> to get to that fantasy <laughs> camp or what have you. Okay. Um, I would be um, remiss if, if we didn't talk at least a little bit about um, the upcoming NBA season. 
because we have you here and, and you watch yep. a lot of basketball and you get paid to do so, I believe. So how are the 22-23 Pistons going to be this season in your estimation? I think they're going to be fun to watch. Um, they'll be exciting. They were exciting to watch last year. And mm -hmm. even though they went through a lot of injuries, a lot of different lineup changes, and the team is still very, very young, I don't say that as an excuse. I say that that despite all of those things, they were still very competitive last year. If you go back to last year, they didn't have a lot of games where you said, oh, man, they're just – they're just outclassed. They're just out, mm -hmm. out talented. They didn't have a lot of those games where they were beat by 20 points. So when you're when you're playing that close and you're still very young and still dealing with injuries, it gives me a, a ray of hope to say with a, another year of experience that they're going to be even better. Now, I wouldn't say that they took a step back, but if you remember, they uh they traded away Jeremy Grant, who was the team's leading scorer. Sure. In an effort to make a way for maybe Kate Cunningham who came on a lot strong at the end of the season. So they had to open the door for him to maybe create some more opportunities. And then they drafted uh, Jaden Ivey, who's a, a terrific player. So they've given these young players an opportunity to grow. Now, having said that they got younger and the one balancing act that all teams have general managers and presidents, youth and experience, you have to have the correct balance if you're going to move forward and win basketball games. So right now, the Pistons are still looking for that veteran presence, not just to verbally or lead them. They need a veteran presence who can get on the floor and give them something. It's one thing to have a veteran presence in the locker room, which they have, but they've got to find a guy, a couple of veteran guys who can still get on the floor and make a difference. And I think that when they do that, that's when they're going to turn the corner and be a playoff uh, type team every year. But right now they're going to, I wouldn't say necessarily struggle, but they're going to be a, in a dog fight because they don't have that one player or one or two players and a veteran that can get them a win that you can, I mean, cause you can almost chalk up five, six, seven wins just by your veteran guys. Really? And why, why um, can you give us an example of a, of a team that maybe benefits from that or a, a a previous Pistons team and, and someone who you could point to? Not to put you on the spot, but I guess I am. No, I, that's a good question, and I'll give you the 04 Pistons. When you look at yeah. that team of, of Ben Wallace and all of those guys, they didn't have a, a, a one or they, – they, they, they were probably the best team. But when they needed a basket, you knew it was going to be Chauncey Billups or Richard Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And those guys were going to come through in a major way. They were going to come through. So with, with this team, they don't have that player. They don't have those two players. But you do have Cade, who is capable of it. He just has to assume the role. When he, mm -hmm. when he assumes the role and does it repeatedly or more consistently, he'll be that guy. But right now, they don't have that guy. Yeah. And as um, I, I know you're, we've established you're a fan of baseball. And as we talk today, the, the divisional series are going on. And the Cleveland Indians just um, – advanced to play i believe your new york yankees um right now but the the indians are i believe by far the youngest team in major league baseball and um they've had an impressive season they weren't supposed to win the al central is it not that you're an expert in baseball but is it different in baseball because you have nine people on a field at one time and 20 you know six people on a roster that you can maybe get away with a few more youngsters as opposed to an nba roster which is only going to have what 14 or 15 total and, and five on the floor at one point. 
Yeah, well, I, I think the nuances are completely different. When you think about baseball, man, if you've got some good pitching, you can really, really do some damage if you've got some good pitching. Mm-hmm. Because you can keep the you can keep the score down and give your guys that have a good bat to maybe put some points on or put some runs on the board. If they can do that and you've got good pitching, you've got a great chance of winning. In basketball, the equivalent to your pitcher would be your point guard. Okay. But point guards, you know, they're 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 gonna run your team. And in today's NBA, they've got to score, they've got to assist, they've got to do a whole lot of different things. So if you're if you're young at that position and not very and, and not very experienced, it's going to tell. It, okay. it will be like having bad pitching. You're, you're, you're going to get a lot of home runs scored on you <laughs> if you got some bad pitching. So that's where it is. That's the parallel, I think, between NBA basketball and Major League Baseball. The point guards and pitchers are pretty much the, 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 the players that make this thing go. Okay. How, how about um, the rest of the NBA? Um, you know, is is it going to be the same old cast of characters that we see every year? Uh, it would seem to be you know, matriculating through and into the playoffs, or is there a, a couple of long shots you think that may have a chance to make some noise this season? Well, you know, you mentioned the Cleveland Cleveland Indians, and I think they're called something else right now. Oh, that's right. The Guardians. I'm sorry. Guardians. There you go. The Guardians. Guardians. Last year, the Cleveland Cleveland, uh, Cavaliers were the Mm -hmm. surprise. Maintained a top three, top four status all season long, but nobody saw that coming in there. Remember, they had a first-year coach and Bickerstaff, and um, nobody expected them to do that. Colin Sexton, one of their best players, missed the entire season. Nobody expected them to do that. So when you look at this year's, you mentioned who's going to be a new team. If I had Mm -hmm. to pick one team that might shine, you'd have to think it would be New Orleans because they've got Zion back. So you have to to wonder what that team is going to look like when they put all the pieces on the floor. You've got to give them them an outside shot. But it is the Western Conference, and you have to put – I never count San Antonio out. I never count the Lakers out, and I'm never going to count with this current roster that they have, count the Golden State Warriors out. Denver's going to be there. Those are the mainstays. Then you go to the Eastern Conference. I think the Cavs will be there, but you got Boston, you got Milwaukee, um, you you got maybe maybe Indiana, but you certainly have Philadelphia. Those are the mainstays again. So there's room for for teams to get in on that bottom, but the tops, the top half, you know, it's pretty much secure with those teams that I mentioned. Sure. Um, wow. This is uh, Grant. I, I cannot thank you enough for your time um, tonight. This has been a lot of fun for me to catch up. And um, clearly there's probably a lot more ground we could cover, but I think we're going to save that for another time, perhaps. Um, any, any time, Doug, man, this was great. It really was. I enjoyed myself. Thank you. I guess the, I would, I would leave you with one final question because you've, you've played in front of, you know, packed arenas from coast to coast, literally. And I, and I think I noted that um, five franchises, six cities, because Memphis and Vancouver were in two separate sp- spots when you played for them, I believe. Mm-hmm. Which, which one of those places that you played in, in terms of a home crowd, I'm not going to ask you to say which one was the best, but which one do you feel was the most knowledgeable or the, or the most enjoyable to play in front of? Um, that, that's, that's a tough one because I, I, I leaned toward Miami because they were the team that drafted me. And we, we, the fans and the players, the team, we all kind of grew together. Now you look at the Miami Heat team. Now they won a few championships and 
they're they're a completely different team than they were in 1988 when we were the original members. And all it was asked upon us is to compete, work hard, and our fan base got behind that. I mean, it, every game was sold out. You go to a game now and the fans have gotten spoiled. Hey, if you're not winning 70 games, we're not coming. But that wasn't the case before. They rooted us on every single night and we lost our first 17 games in a row. But every seat was filled for all of those 17 games and they continue to be that way. So I have a spot in my heart for that. But then as you move through the NBA, my last stop was probably the best stop when it comes to fan participation. And that was the Boston Celtics. They were so knowledgeable. And, you know, you get to some arenas and if it was Chicago coming to town, the building would sell out. If it was the Knicks coming to town, the building would sell out. But in Boston, the worst team in the NBA would come to the Boston Garden and it would still sell out because those fans there supported the Celtics. They didn't care who they were playing, they were coming to boot on the Celtics. And I think that's what it is. You can say that about the Boston Red Sox. You can say that about uh, the, the hockey team there, the Bruins. Bruins that's yep. just, just, just how they did it. Boston's fans, they come to support their team, not the opponent. Yep. And you mentioned the Garden. I guess I, this is the final question, I promise. Uh, did you play in the old Garden or were you in the new one? I did. I played in the old Garden. What was What was that? like i mean i toured that old garden I, I took a tour of it never saw a game there but i took a tour of it and it was just fascinating to me to see the visiting locker room and all the other craziness that went on there but what was it like to play in that old barn it was it, it was priceless to actually play there Doug. i mean it was because i just like you i watched on cbs on sunday or saturday and how they would just go on and on about this parquet floor and the Boston Garden. I saw the 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 the, the train going over the top, heading into the garden, and I, I, that picture still remains in my mind today. And then to have an opportunity to go play there, I tell you this: they made it look so much better on television than it really <laughs> was. <laughs> but it was still it, it, it's like playing in Saint Cecilia. Yep, yeah, it's a box. It's it's not very accommodating but it's a great place for basketball. And that's why I feel about the garden. It's a great place for basketball. Very good. Grant, thank you again. This has, again, been so much fun uh, and an honor for, for you to take some time to join me. I know you're a busy man, especially this time of season. So look forward to checking you out on um, on Valley Sports Detroit. Thanks again. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. Enjoy your night. your night. Conversations with Sports Fans is a production of The Sports Fan Project. Our theme music is, fittingly, entitled Wooden Championships by Lobo Loco. Please visit our website at thesportsfanproject.com for more information and to contact us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other sports fans you know and invite them to give it a listen. 